I want to welcome you this morning. Hopefully as you walked in, you grabbed a bulletin that looks like this. If I could just show you one thing that is in it, it is our connection card. It's in the center and it's perforated. If you wouldn't mind tearing it out at this moment, that'd be fantastic. And then grabbing a pencil or a pen or something like that. In fact, there should be one in the seat pocket in front of you. And here are the instructions. If you are all in here at the Livingstones Church or you come here on a frequent basis, if you wouldn't mind filling out uh, your name and the children you brought with you this morning, that'd be fantastic. But if you are here for the very first time, we want to say to you a very special welcome to the Living Stones Church here on Easter. We are really glad to have you, and we pray that when you walk out of here, you'll be blessed and are thankful that you have been here with us this morning. For you, if this is your first time, on that connection card, if you would mind filling out as much information as you feel comfortable giving to us, and as you do, here are our Living Stones promises. We will not be abusive or obnoxious with that information. We won't give it to anybody else. It stays here in-house. We will not use it as permission to show up to your house or to call you while you're trying to take a great Easter Sunday afternoon nap or anything of the like. What we'll do is we'll note that you're here, promise to pray for you this week, and in the mail send you a letter that says thank you for risking being here this morning on Easter here at the Living Stones Church. And then, if you wouldn't mind, then just fold it in half. At the end of our service, we're going to take up our tithes and offerings. And in that moment, you'll know because a Martin Supermarket fried chicken bucket will go by your row. That's when you know, drop that card right inside of there, and we'd greatly appreciate that. We're glad that you're here. We are here to celebrate the reality that Jesus is alive and with eyes of faith to believe by the power of the Holy Spirit here among us, which means that not only do we get to commune with one another, but we get to commune with the resurrected Lord Jesus. And so let us enter into that time as we spend time with Jesus himself. Throughout time, the Easter season would connote a flurry of activity for all the newness to celebrate this precious day. Parents and children would purchase new clothing, eggs would be prepared to signify new life, and a special meat dish to be served on the good china. All this accent on newness for this day is fitting and just, for we all have a new life now because of Jesus' death on the cross and his rising from the grave. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old one is gone. The new one has come. Here we are to celebrate that very fact. And I challenge you not to restrict this celebration just to today, but make every day an Easter morning, breathing in the new life that Christ gave and the new grace that he offers each day. You'll notice here at church that we take communion together. It's never an individual activity where we go off by ourselves during the service and receive the elements whenever we want. Being together demonstrates how Jesus changes lives, creating a holy community, united to show the world who Jesus is and what he did for us. When we call ourselves Christians, we are commanded to recognize his glory, honor his glory, 
declare his glory, praise his glory, reflect on his glory, and live for his glory. Here at Living Stones Church, everyone is invited to come and to receive the elements of communion. So please pray with me. Heavenly Father, the wait is over. The glorious resurrection is here. Thank you for the redemption that you so freely give us. And our Redeemer indeed lives. Let us be nourished together and then leave this table to live out the Easter joy. In Jesus' name we pray. So come, for all things are ready for you. Thank you. 
Easter Sunday, your Redeemer lives. No more guilt, no more shame. He freely gives, so freely come. Let's give God the glory. Good morning, everybody. When I was in high school, I was suspended for fighting. Now, I know some of you ladies are into the bad boys, so I hope that you will be strong enough to show some restraint towards me after I share the story with you. Even now, I'm fighting the urge to uh, want to smoke a cigarette to tell it. If I might, let me share the story with you. It started earlier in the day as me and some friends were playing a game that we called B.B. Butcher. It's a very mature game. It went something like this. Quite simply, it is this, that when you say any word that began with the letter B, all of your friends playing the game got to punch you until you said B.B. Butcher. Yes, I, I know, to quote Ferris Bueller, it's a little childish and stupid, but so is high school. Now remember, to stop the punching, all you have to do is say, B.B. Butcher. The rules are, B-word, punch, say B.B. Butcher, it has to stop. So while in gym class, a bigger kid, a bully if you would, in our school decided he wanted to get on the game as well. And so one time a freshman, unbeknownst to him, said a word that began with the letter B. And this bigger kid started punching him and wailing on him. And of course the smaller freshman started saying, B.B. Butcher, B.B. Butcher. But the kid wouldn't stop hitting him. And so the kid, kind of in great pain, starts calling out even more, B.B. Butcher, B.B. Butcher, and he wouldn't stop punching him. And so, being the superhero that I am, I stepped in and pushed the kid off of him. And then he turned on me, and we started fighting. And fists are flying like two well-trained MMA fighters. In my memory, I beat him like George St. Pierre, and he was just begging to tap out. When finally Herb Dean shows up, and he breaks up the fight, and we get sent to the vice principal's office, Mrs. Fox. Now, also, being the captain of the high school debate, remember I said being a bad boy, again, illustration. 
Being the captain of the debate team, I was ready to plead my case, to make my argument, to explain how I was simply standing up for justice. I was simply protecting the weak. I was defending the defenseless. I was the hero in this narrative. I shouldn't be in trouble. If anything, my picture should hang in the hallway or a bronze statue of myself in the lobby. But before I could get a word out of my defense, Mrs. Fox asked, did you throw a punch? I said, yes, but I, I, I don't care the reason why. If you threw a punch, you get suspended. Yeah, but you don't understand. I mean, we were fighting. I threw a punch because it does, the rules are the rules. If you threw a punch, you automatically get suspended out of school for three days. And that was it. The kid that I fought with and myself were suspended for three days. And right after we left Mrs. Fox's office, we went and had breakfast together at McDonald's over here on Michigan Street because guys have an amazing way of duking it out and then being over it. No grudges. We can go eat breakfast together. But here's the thing about being suspended. Being a senior in high school, I now have to include a letter with all of my college applications explaining why it is that I have been suspended. By default, I got kicked out of the National Honor Society, which back then all the bad boys were in the National Honor Society. It was just by rule. If you got suspended, you could no longer be in the National Honor Society. I remember even my teachers at the time thinking it was ridiculous because even though I was a bad boy, I was mainly a lover and not a fighter, and they excused my work even if they weren't supposed to. Now, here's what happened. Unbeknownst to me, my parents took up my cause. And they went over Mrs. Fox, who you remember is the vice principal of Riley High School at this time, and they went right into Mr. Algie Oldham's office because Mr. Oldham was the principal. And then after some intense negotiations, when they concluded, after Mr. Oldham heard my story and Mr. Oldham knew me, he overturned the consequences and allowed me to be reinstated into the National Honor Society, and he removed my suspension from my school record. I love Mr. Oldham. <laughs> but do you know what I learned that day? Mrs. Fox doesn't have the last word. Mr. Oldham has the last word. And Mr. Oldham's last word changed everything for me. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like this where you needed whatever word you received to be overturned by another word. Maybe it was an authority that gave you a bad word, a word that was not in your favor, a word that was painful, or a word that was not to your advantage, a word that for you was full of negative consequences, and then maybe it was based on an appeal, it got overturned, or maybe it was a doctor who you went to for a second opinion as a specialist in the field that it seems you're having problems in that overturned the prior word, or maybe from someone who has more authority than the person who told you last, and you realize that that bad word you received wasn't in fact the last word and the person delivering it to you didn't have the authority to give you the last word and then when you received it the last word trumped the bad word because what we recognize is there is power in last words and I don't know you might know people who always have to have the last word Do you know anyone like that they always have to have the last word no matter what it could be a well or a I'm just saying or after you deliver your stinging argument, they have to at least throw in a hmm. And sometimes it's not even in the midst of conflict. It's just 
you're just texting somebody and you think the conversation is over, but ding, they have to have the last word. It's just a, you know, have a good day, see you soon, thanks. And we've got somebody on staff who is a last word texter. It's not bad. And I don't want to give her away, but her name rhymes with Bam Flynn, if you're wondering who. <laughs> There's power in last words. I remember when I was at ACU working on my graduate degree, one of our professors had a good friend and a fellow elder who was dying of cancer. And in the end, he slipped into a comatose state and just didn't really come out of it. And so the family kind of gathered and were in the room, and one day David Ray was up in the room with him. And out of nowhere, in the midst of his coma, he just woke up. And he just sat up in the bed, and he just went around and had a conversation with every single family member that was in the room, telling them how much he loved them, how much he appreciated them, how much he was proud of them for what they had done. And then when he was finished, he just laid back down, and he died. Thomas Fisher tells the same story about his father-in-law, that he was sick with cancer, was slipping in and out of coma, and And uh, uh, his sister-in-law, who lived outside of Indianapolis, made her way outside of Detroit to be with him. And when she walked in the room with her kids and family, of course, he was in his comatose state. And she just walked over to his bed and hugged him and held her dad's hand and began to just tell him how much she loved him. And he just woke up. He didn't sit up out of bed, but he just woke up and began to have a conversation with his daughter and his grandchildren about how much he loved them. And then he just died. But I can't help but imagine that those last words were for them the most powerful words they ever heard. And that will be in their memory until the day that they die. They will never forget that moment of getting to hear last words. Because what we find is there is power often in last words. And what we're doing here this morning is here to celebrate the power of a last word. We're here to celebrate that the last word is a powerful word and it actually belongs to the highest authority that exists in heaven and on earth. And this is important because death thought that it had the last word. And I think there's this moment that we just walked through from Friday where Satan was under this assumption that he got the last word in and even the world itself became kind of numb to the reality of that word. Even the disciples were disheartened and, and overwhelmed in the reality of that word. Hope seemed to vanish from that word. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, another word broke in. And just like Mrs. Fox, what we discover is Satan doesn't get the last word. Death doesn't get the last word. Sin will not have the last word. Listen to me. Cancer will not have the last word. Diabetes doesn't have the last word. God has the last word. And that word overturns the consequences of all previous words and with great power is able to speak into our lives. It is time to wake up. And it is time to live. And it's this news that this word, this powerful last word that would make the Apostle Paul, when he sees it, sing out, where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? To which, if Sam were paraphrasing, it would go like this. You don't have the last word. God has the last word. And God, even more than Algie Oldham, loves me. And his final word on my behalf will be a word of hope and joy and life. And I don't want to live my life afraid. And rather, I I want to live it in celebration of this reality that the one who has the last word in my life gives a word that's life-giving, foundation-shaking, world-rocking, a final word that speaks to every part of us that feels dead. It is time to rise up and to live. 
And even though I know the resurrection account is in every gospel, I think my favorite is Matthew's. And the reason is really only one little thing that Matthew includes in the story that the others don't pick up on as much, and is that that earth-shaking news of the resurrection of Jesus. It's in Matthew chapter 28, verse 1, says this, After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, they went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake. If you want to know why, it's because an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, he rolled back the stone, and then he just sat on it. Which I love that. Just picture that in your mind. Just... It says his appearance was like lightning. I mean, his clothes were white as snow, and the guards were so afraid of him that they just shook, and they became like dead men, which is ironic in our story. So the woman showed up, and the angel says to them, says, Listen, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. Well, he is not here. He has risen. It's just as he said. So you, you can even come and see the place where he lay. And then go quickly and tell his disciples, for he has risen from the dead and he's going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him. Now I have told you. So here's my message God gave to me to you. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet they were also filled with joy. And they ran to tell his disciples. And then out of nowhere, Jesus shows up. And he says, greetings, which, you know, I would really go all into this like, ta-da! I mean, it would just be a big, <laughs> greetings. When they saw him, of course, they came to him and they, they clasped his feet and they worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. I love Matthew's account of the resurrection because when Jesus' three-day-old dead body comes back to life, for Matthew, the whole earth shakes. There's an earthquake that takes place. Easter is an earthquake where doors shake off tombs, dead people walk in the streets, stones roll away by a ruckus angel who sits on top. Easter is an earthquake that shakes the whole world. And I say this because our tendency is as we live our daily lives is to, to somehow want to hang on to the resurrection without the reality that our worlds also must be rocked by resurrection. Because we have this way of amazingly being well-adjusted to the old world that is pre-resurrection. In fact, we struggle with our eyes of faith at times because it doesn't look like it, it doesn't feel like it, this present situation that I'm in, it often feels like this is the final word. And I think if we were all honest, resurrection is a little difficult to comprehend. It's a word that's difficult to believe. I mean, it sounds nice, and I know we don't mind the pageantry and traditions of this one weekend as we talk about it and sing about it, but if we're talking about resurrection as more than an event, but as a way of life or a lifestyle, that's a much harder thing to grasp. Now, death we get, and death we can explain. Even as tragic as it is, or as painful as it is, as upsetting as it is, at least that we can explain, we understand that. Crucifixion, you can explain. That's why, listen, in spite of the fact that, you know, Jesus gave his disciples several warnings and heads up that he was actually going to be raised from the dead, and they all seemed to miss it. Like, none of them seemed to be just waiting around saying, well, hold on, he's, he's going to be back. I mean, he said, I mean, they were all mourning the loss of the crucifixion, because that, they, under, they understood that. 
I'm not sure how many of them even wanted Easter. I mean, how do you explain that? How do you, oh yeah, Jesus, he was dead for three days and now he's alive. And I think for us, we get so used to our stories about Jesus raising people from the dead or even Jesus himself coming back from the dead that we forget the reality of moments of the scandal of, you know, death is final, right? Like, you don't just get over that. You don't hear in the news, yeah, so-and-so, they died. Really? Yeah, and then three days later, they're back again. Hey, weren't you dead? Yeah, but I was resurrected. That's great. What are you doing for lunch on Thursday? You don't hear those conversations. You can't explain it. Death, defeat, while regrettable, or at least explainable. You can almost even see the disciples after the crucifixion, ta- crucifixion talking. It was a good campaign while it lasted. Yeah, we tried to get him elected Messiah. Oh, well, I guess death had the last word. You know, you've got to move on. I mean, we'd hoped, but you've got to face the facts. You guys want to get some lunch? But in Matthew's gospel, an earth-shaking God with an earth-shaking message shows up that God enters and gets the last word, even when death was a part of the conversation. There's a God who creates a way when there is no other way, a God who will make war against evil until evil is undone, a God who will raise Jesus from the dead just to show us all who's in charge. And I kind of, you know, again, I go back to that angel sitting on that stone. I, I picture him just a little cocky, you know, like, I know why you're all here. You think death won, you're here to take care of the details. Well, guess what? God has the last word, and the last word is life. So take a look for yourself. Jesus' body is not there. Boom! Angel drops the mic, steps off the stone. (laughs) See, the disciples who came to put the final sentences in this sad chapter and story of Jesus' life find that they will not walk away with the realization, oh, this isn't the last few sentences. In fact, this isn't even the last chapter. We're going to have to pin an entirely new chapter that will have as its final word, resurrection and life and hope and power. And so I say this to you this morning because some of you are convinced that the story you're living in, the one that you most acutely feel, the one that seems to confront you every morning when you wake up and get out of bed is a tragic chapter and whose ending you're not all that happy about. But I want you to know that there is an empty tomb that is guaranteeing that the final word is not the one that you're living in. In fact, it's getting trumped. And so if it feels to you like depression is having its way and the end of your story is just going to be simply that, you need to know that Jesus has a powerful word to say. It will be a last word that will trump the word depression or the word termination. Or disease is about to get trumped. Cancer is about to lose its power of being the final word. Your divorce will not be the last word in your life. That bankruptcy you just went through and now you're trying to pick up, it will not be the last word in your life. That felony conviction, not the last word. Your kid's painful life choices, not the last word. You didn't get into college you wanted to? I really am sorry. But that will not be the last word of your story didn't get the dream job you've always wanted, listen to me, that will not be the last word of your story. The doctor told you what? It will not be the last word. Death won't even be the last word. Your sin will not be the last word. The sins of others that are impacting your life will not be the last word. Jesus will have the last word. And some of you just need to speak out loud right back into your present circumstances. I don't care what you are or who you are. You do not get the last word. Jesus has the last word. You need to say all right to the depression that you're living in. Listen, Jack, you don't get the last word. Jesus gets the last word. And I know some of you are afraid because 
of that word from the doctor, and I just need you to look at it and say, listen here, Mrs. Fox, it has come to my attention that you do not get the final word. Jesus has the final word, and he loves me. And he's ensured that that final word for me will not be death, but resurrection life. So we want to wake up from the effects of hearing all those other bad words and realize, mm -mm, it will not be the last one. That death has been dethroned, that death has been unveiled for what it is. Someone who doesn't get the final say or the last word. That Jesus stares right into its face and conquers it so that he gets the last word. We celebrate Easter not as a one-time event that occurred 2,000 years ago to a man named Jesus, but rather as for us an opening to a new way of life here and now. For us as a people to be made alive by a voice of one who has all power and authority in heaven and earth to have the final word. And that last word is, it is time to wake up and live. And in that, we get to live because of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you and are grateful that you are God who loves us. And not only that, you are God who loves us and also gets the final word. And so we're asking this morning that you would speak into every place in our life that feels dead, whether it's the marriage that we're in or whether it's the divorce we've just walked through, whether it's the diagnosis we've just received. We're not going to allow that to be the last word because we look to you as the God who through your son Jesus gets the last word. And so we wish to hear it, a word of power and of life and of joy. And in that we want to celebrate because we have been made alive because of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing together.